Welcome to the bonus cast. We are Phil and Meredith, and we believe that the life of a Jesus follower is a resilient life. So every month we have conversations around topics that build your resilience. This month specifically, we are talking about finances, and we've been in Sunday series all about being fearless in our finances. Yep. Most recently, we had some conversation and some Q&R where people had the opportunity to text in and message and DM, all those kind of things, questions that they have around finances. And we had such an, a fantastic time in the Sunday morning sure experience, but so many questions came in that we didn't have the opportunity to answer them all. That's right. So we want to take a little bit of time right now and dig into those questions again. And initially we thought, hey, maybe we'll just respond to the individuals who sent them. But the truth is that the questions are are so great. And I think that they'll be of value to you as well. So we wanted to bring them here into a bonus cast so everybody can benefit from these questions. Yeah. And I'll say as a disclaimer right here at the start, I've got two yeah, disclaimers. All right. Two disclaimers. Here they come. All right, so first one is that Meredith and I are not financial advisors. We're not financial experts. Accurate. We are pastors who believe that we're in a pretty good condition and position financially. Yep. And we feel fairly well equipped to be able to speak on this because we read fairly extensively and have a whole lot of conversations with wise people around yep. finances and, of course, are able to hear the Holy Spirit and yep. read Scripture and what His position, God's position is around these finances. That's the first thing that I'd say about it. And I would say also that the second thing is that usually these bonus cast conversations are about 20, 30 minutes. This one has the potential to go a little bit longer because it's something that we're so passionate about. Yeah, they can see the timestamp. Yeah, well, I'm just Don't saying this right nervous. here at the top. <laughs> That it's going to be good. Make sure that you listen all the way through the end, okay? Absolutely. And and I think I'll add, maybe not as a disclaimer, but just a little bit of info. This is our uh, plan here is not to be a financial advisor for you, as Phil said. It's to offer, what does it mean for a Jesus follower, for a Christian, for a believer? What are we doing in a biblical perspective with our finances? Because I, fi I think our finances matter so much, right? They are the resource and the wealth that God has given us to manage on his behalf while we're here on earth, while we're in this short life. And I think what we do with our finances, what scripture teaches us, I believe, is that what we do with our finances matters in the here and now, matters for the people that we live with, matters for our families, matters for our own livelihood, as well as if we do it right, has some internal impact and internal implications as well. Yeah. And so just so you know, as a, a framework of where we're going in this conversation today, we're going to be having a conversation, obviously, around finances and specifically talking around generosity, specifically talking around investments, talking around passive income, what that looks like. Yeah. We're going to have conversations around how do our finances work in marriage and maybe yeah. how did they work when we were single, give some perspective to that, and then how we can be overcoming the fear that is so often attached and associated with this. The series of Fearless Finances come in because right. essentially when Americans are polled about what's the greatest thing that you are fearful in your life, yeah. it's finances. More yeah. than any other topic that we could be afraid of, it's wow. finances. How am I going to be able to provide for my dependents, for my kids, yeah. for my spouse? How am I going to be able to make sure that I can make ends meet and cover my financial obligations that I have? People are laying awake at night with the thoughts of fear around finances. Yeah. And we're not going to get any better in them unless we talk about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And that's not what God has for you, right? To be 
fearful, to be held back, to be uh, worrisome and all of those things. That's not what God has for you. That's not why he gave you finances. He gave them to you to be confident in, to use, to help, um, you know, spread the gospel, all of those great things. So we want to tackle it. We want to hopefully equip. And the podcasts are designed to be a space where the resilience of your life grows. There's so much conversation around finances that happens that's coming at people in different spaces. And whether you are actively listening to conversations about finances or not, they're coming at you because you've seen a commercial that's trying to tell you where you should spend your money and and what your money should be spent on. And you're hearing the news about what's going on with the economy and all of that. Um, And the truth is Jesus talked about finances a lot. And Jesus talked about money a lot because it is a reality of our everyday lives. So we want to dig into it and hopefully offer a view that looks a little bit like Jesus. Yeah. And so, you know, we've given five minutes of introduction and framework about why we're getting to this point. But I will say that I think fundamentally, most of us get into financial issues as a result of comparison. as a result of comparing ourselves to other people and what it seems like they have. It seems like everybody else is in a better financial condition or situation than we are. And so we're trying to keep up with the neighbors. We're trying to keep up with their homes and their cars and the things that they're providing. Give them your Dave Ramsey quote. Yeah. So, so there's this line that Dave Ramsey says that we spend money that we don't have buying things that we don't need to try and impress people that we don't even like. Come on. And, and it's I, so good. It's so good. And I, I think that's the, the truth that that's where so many of us get into financial issues. The statistics are that we are more in debt as a nation personally than yeah. we've ever been before. No, I'm not even talking about the national U.S. debt. I'm just talking about credit card debt right yeah. now. We've yeah. passed a trillion dollars. That number is increasing by $50 billion per quarter. Every quarter that we are in right now, as individuals, we are going further and further into debt because we're buying things or trying to buy things that we don't really need to impress people that we don't even really like, that we don't even need to. And it's coming out of this reality or it's not even the reality that's that's the issue is that we are trying to compare our reality with other people's fantasy or their projection of reality i was um you know watching this thing social media has a huge part to play in that people have been comparing we've been comparing ourselves to each other for you know as long as people have been around i think in some ways um but social media allows us almost a constant feed of a look into someone else's life right So I was watching this article, watching this article, I was watching a video on how different social media influencers create content. And they were kind of trying to break down and demystify what's happening there. Because, right, you look at this video and you're like, this person has this amazing kitchen that they're preparing this recipe in that I'm going to make someday or that I think I might make someday. And, And while you're getting the recipe, you're also going like, man, my kitchen doesn't look anything like that. And my kitchen's a mess. And I have sticky fingerprints all over my kitchen or we've got old cupboards or whatever the thing is that that you're comparing yourself to and this person goes I don't know if you know this or not but a lot of people who make these videos that's not even their kitchen they rent out an Airbnb for a day and go do a day of recording and then put that out as their content and I was like mind 
blown right because i've fallen into that trap right of watching these videos and going like oh my gosh how does that mom keep her kitchen so clean and i'm not saying that's true 100 percent of the time some people are showing their legitimate home but the fact is you don't know some of the, the reason her kitchen is so clean is because she doesn't live there mm-hmm. there's a kitchen somewhere else that have her kids sticky fingerprints all over yes. them and we're comparing ourselves to what's not even someone else's reality and we're comparing ourselves to you know, lives of that are are things that we're projecting that we don't even own because who really owns them is the bank that holds the line on them or the credit card company who owns that is who really owns the the furniture that we've bought or the cars that we're projecting. And now we're going, man, how come my neighbors can do so much more than I can? Or how come my neighbors seem like they're really like able to re- renovate this or buy those new cars? But the fact is they're not. They're spending money that they don't have. And that means, scripture tells us, that means that we're shackled to that thing, that we're yeah. a slave to that thing. And not really even the thing, but the company that owns that thing in reality. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, so they do polls all the time with people from all over the nation. One that I'm always drawn to that they do on a frequent basis is they ask people the question, um, how much money do you think the average American makes per year? Oh my gosh, these year? are so good, yes. And when people answer that question, the number is always like, I think the average American makes yes. like $250,000 oh, a year. Oh, the one I saw the other day was like higher. It was like 400000 or something. Yeah, yeah. because you, you think like, I know what it would take to live like. Like I'm, I'm seeing, projecting, like, exactly. right. Exactly. And so that must be how much they're making. And when you look at how much yes. the average American is making, I think yeah, the yeah. average income around the nation is like $58,000 or something like that. And, and that's that's obviously taking into consideration location and yep, cost of yep. living, all of these different kind of things. And so it, it becomes like I'm not even comparing reality to reality. Right. It's not even it's and then it's not even projection. It's just fantasy. And yep. these numbers that we're coming up with just don't even mean anything. That's why we want to speak some wisdom into this conversation. Yeah. That's a really long introduction. I want to so get So long. I know we got to get into the questions, but 74,000 was 2021's median income for Americans. Median. Okay. Yep. Got it. All right. So first question that we want to tackle, one thing that we talked about this weekend was passive income, the power of it, how you can come about it. Passive income is essentially the ability to generate income when you are not actively working. And so often we associate the ability to generate income at an hourly rate. Mm. I'm working for this many dollars per hour, whether you are on an hourly income or if you're a salary, you can still essentially do the math and figure out how much am I making while I am working. Yeah. There is I want to jump in and say, I think this is something that Gen Z gets in a different way yeah. than previous generations have. I would agree. Right? The the oldest Gen Zers are now young adults. They are moving into the workforce. And one of the really cool things that I think we see out of them that I think is going to be amazing for what it's going to do for their financial futures is we see them understanding and grasping. I don't have to be on the job site. I don't have to be actively hour for hour swapping out my time for dollars. And I think the way that that's going to allow them to impact the kingdom and impact the world is going to be so amazing to watch. Yeah, it's exciting. And I think it's causing a whole lot of generational disruption. Totally. Because millennials, to a degree, and I would say boomers and Xers, are like, you can't do that. You need to show up on your Monday through Friday, nine to five. You know, we need this five-day work week or four-day work week. Or What am I paying you for if you're not 
actively working right now. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I can outsource or I can be creative with how I'm doing that. Yep. Or I have the ability to work for a few hours in the morning and generate income in the afternoon because of what I did in yeah. the morning. So the idea of passive income is essentially where you are generating income, but when you are not actively working. Some examples would be the ability to buy rental property. Obviously, you own the property. You might own a vehicle, and then you're renting that out to someone else. And yep. so you're receiving income, rent, from yep. the tenant when while you're not actively working. Yep. Okay, So the purchase of those assets, renting those things out. Additional examples would be if maybe not a even... A YouTube channel. Exactly. YouTube channel where you're generating income. There's, there's funnels where you're selling things. Where yep. you, maybe you're collecting information from people and pointing them towards different products, digital assets that you maybe you've created. Uh, also... Printing books, songs, royalties, copyright, all those kind Any, of things. Yeah. There's a hundred examples that you so can So let me Google. read the question here. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. I thought no. you were wrapping that sentence Take up. It. All right. I love how you talked about passive income, and I understand some of it, but when you start looking at investing, there are so many companies to invest in. How do you go about choosing one or a few to invest in that will produce passive income? I think that is a great, great Such a question. Good question. I would say back to the disclaimer at the beginning, it's a great question to be asking a financial advisor. Yes. And, and I do believe what they would tell you in a strong economy is to div div diversify, I think is crucial, and making sure that all of your eggs are not in one basket mm -hmm. and making sure that you're considering as well your age and stage of life. Yep. If you are in your 60s and you're considering investment mm -hmm. and retirement, that is going to look different than if you're in your 20s and considering investment and retirement in terms of right. how aggressive you want to be, in right. terms of what return you're looking at, those kind of things, because it will impact how many years that has the ability to grow over time. And so you should consider that. I would say one other thing to be considering is making sure that you're considering your ethical values as well. This is great. Do you want to be investing in a company that is going to violate your values, maybe because of their practices. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, I would say that businesses are good and, and, and should be supported. I would say that there are some businesses and some sectors that you should consider based on your own convictions. I would give some examples around maybe sustainability, maybe how clothing is made, maybe how uh, businesses are treating the environment. When you consider yep. what things are really valuable to you and your own convictions, how is that going to impact where you put your money? Yeah, that's so good. Um, that's what I was going to say the same thing. And then the other thing I would just maybe say is it's kind of a funny question to start off with, but I loved the kind of... Uh, direction of it is starting investing into forms of passive income is not a starting step either. If you're at a position where you're like, I don't actually even know how to budget, or I know that like I've got more going out than I have coming in, I have massive amounts of credit card debt, those types of things, then this is probably not your starting step. And and more than us, you know, we talked about on Sunday how we're investing in something called Ramsey Solutions as a church that's going to be available to people to help walk them through. I know one of those steps in the like baby steps of the Ramsey process is starting to invest for your future. Yeah. But before that come steps of like just getting control over your finances. And one of the things I think that I see and I've felt the desire to do is go, how do I start generating this? The idea of passive income sounds really exciting, but the truth is you have to have something to put into it to yeah. get it going. Yeah. 
And so I would just caution somebody with kind of that thought as well or where to put it in your timeline and in terms of getting something going like that. Yeah, and I would consider what you're willing to invest because you might be willing to put finances into something like a rental property or into a Mm -hmm. rental vehicle. And you don't even have to purchase an entire rental property. There's all kinds of organizations that would be real estate investment trusts and, and you have the ability to buy portions of property and see a dividend or return on those rather than owning and and being the property manager for a local property. So you don't have to have all of the income to be able to get into the real estate game if that's something that you're interested in. You can also consider, well, I don't have the finances to invest right now, but I do have the time. And maybe you're really charismatic and you would be great on camera and you've got a great take on something and you can create a whole YouTube channel and you can generate income that's not going to cost you a cent. And you have the ability to monetize videos and content that you're be creating. It's not costing you anything now to get into the yep. passive income game. And I was I was thinking the same thing because I started thinking about, you know, there's the story about the woman um, who went and collected jars from her neighbors and then began to fill it with oil. And part of that question is the simple question of what's in your hand right now? What do you have available to you right now that can start filling with something else that can begin to reproduce? It's the same question, really, that Jesus asked the disciples when they were trying to feed the 5,000. And he goes, well, what do you have? And there's a boy who comes up and he's got a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. But because he offered what he already had, then Jesus Jesus multiplied that into something else. And I think when you start thinking passive income as well, think about what are you already interested in? What are you already good at? What are you already passionate about? Or or like you said, you're already really charismatic. Great. Let's think about something that you care about that you can talk to other people about. Does that create income? As opposed to, I think we get off track when we go like, well, I heard somebody else tell me that doing this couldn't generate a lot of income, but you don't care a lick about that thing. And you don't have the same skill set that that person has. And now we're in something simply because we're pursuing the money for it, as opposed to looking and going, what am I actually good at? Because those are the things that God's put on the inside of you that you can then begin to pursue. Yeah. And I would say the best form of passive income would be if you consider the the Venn diagram, not just something that you're good at, something that you can generate income from, something that there is a need for, something that you love doing, like you're saying. Because if it's something that is draining to you, you're not going to continue doing it and you might invest all kinds of of resources that you can't afford to waste in purchasing equipment or setup for something and then now you've wasted it. If you're just talking about some little... Uh, some extra money that you have on the side that you want to invest. Of course, you can do that yourself. There's all kinds of platforms and applications that you can download and you can invest yourself and you can play around with uh, like uh, some disposable income. I wouldn't invest what you can afford to lose in that space. Afford to lose. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, uh, And then also, I would encourage you to speak to a financial advisor. We have a Christian financial advisor that we have been really clear about what our values are. Mm -hmm. And we make sure that we only invest in the spaces that would align ethically, morally with uh, what we value as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Great question. Let's talk about how finances work in marriage. Oh, yes. We've been married for 11 years now and we have done it up on 12. Yeah, we've done it well sometimes and we have not done it well sometimes in terms of how we handle, discuss and manage our finances together. Why don't you just give a little bit of context about what do finances look like in our marriage? 
Yeah, I love, you know, so many questions came in in this area, and I love it because when you talk about, you know, some of the critical pressure points in marriage, uh, finances always comes up, and I think the heart of that is around communication. So what has worked well for us, and then we'll dive specifically into some of these questions, is figuring out uh, who is going to be, I would say, like lead on um, on what bills are coming in and how are we following up on bills? Like who knows all of that information? We realized really early it doesn't function well for us, for both of us to have our hands in it because then it's like, wait, have we paid that? Have we not paid that? What's going on with it? So one of us takes lead on being the person who is, you know, going through the mail, going through the emails, all that kind of stuff. Um, And then we sit down and we put a budget together together. We go over that budget together. We agree on that budget together. We make changes and move things around together. How many times can you say together in 10 seconds? Together, 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 together. That's part of the point, right? Right, it's part of the point is that this has to be done together um, because I think that's the point when when a couple feels like one person is controlling all of the money and making decisions around all of the money, then that's always going to be a point of conflict, right? I don't want to feel like you're my parent and I have to like find out, can I, can I get an allowance this week? Now you have to make decisions together. So we can dive into some of that more because one of the first questions that came in was basically, how do I have a healthy marriage um, and work together? And this one specifically said when we have two working incomes, which I think is really great. But I also think really the same things apply if you only have one income coming in. Um, and I think the first thing is communication, right? Are you doing this together? Yeah. And whether you have two incomes or one income, I think for us and I think what exists in a healthy marriage is... Yeah those incomes, even if you have five incomes, if we're going back to the previous conversation with passive income, it's all going into one budget. Great. We see our marriage as we are one. And so while we have a few different incomes, it's going into a bank account, it's going into a budget. And so we don't see this as my money, your money, I make this much, you make that much, therefore yep. you can't spend this and division in that space. We're yep. going to talk a little bit about what spending looks like personally. Yeah, I specifically wanted to speak to this because I think we do really recommend to couples to combine your incomes. I think once you get married, not before you get married, right. but once you get married, that that's one bank account that's everyone has access to, everyone being both couples has access right. to that bank account. Everyone knows what's going in everyone can see what's going out. Um, and I hear, I hear conversation around, um, sometimes support for keeping this separate. And the biggest reason I hear for keeping it separate is, um, is the fact that most often women, sometimes men become, come in a situation where they can be vulnerable to, um, abuse or being stuck or the feeling of being stuck, having to stay toxic relationships Mm -hmm. because I don't have access to the finances. I don't know what's going on in it, et cetera, et cetera. I'm totally dependent on this other person. And so to that, I would say a couple of things. I would say, one, I think from a biblical perspective, when we talk about two becoming one, I don't know how you fully become one when something like your finances are not fully together, right? Mm -hmm. Two, I never want to make decisions that are fear-based in their outcome. And that decision is fear-based. If the worst happens, what could potentially go bad? 
The third is I do not think you should ever be in a situation where one or the other spouse doesn't have access or information to what's going on financially. Or know how to access it. Or know how to access it, right? Everyone should have login details. Everyone should have information. Everyone should have access to that money. We have a shared document that has login information for all of our accounts in it. So I think that's a really vulnerable position. And I would also say, again, specifically to women, it's not only women, but specifically to women to educate yourself on financial things. This is not uh, as maybe true as it was a couple of generations ago, but I still talk to women who are like, man, I don't really know what goes on with finances. I wouldn't know how to make money or I'm not really sure. So there's so much, even if you're not the primary uh, breadwinner or even if you're not the primary person taking care of finances, there's so much value in knowing what's going on. And then lastly, if you are in a situation where you feel like you're stuck like that, Mm -hmm. there are so many organizations that want to and can and are set up to help you get out of that and get set up financially. And that is fear that's lying to you to keep you that I'm not going to be able to on my own. And I would just say you're so much more capable than that. And there are people who are ready and prepared to help you get out of that situation. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Thank you for saying all of that. And I would say how our finances work, we receive income, it goes into a bank account. And then, of course, we have a, a budget that 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 income goes towards yep. that we spoke a little bit to this past Sunday in mm. terms of priorities and where that's going, tithing and r- obligations that we have, bills and so forth, generosity and how that's all built into our budget. And then as well as that, one of the things that we build into our budget is personal spending. Yes. What we felt early in marriage was some frustration and some tension because Meredith has values that I don't necessarily have. Yeah. Or she has some preferences. preferences. Yeah, yeah. Maybe is a better word on what she would like to be able to spend some of her her money on or some of our money on that I wouldn't necessarily do. Some examples would be she might like to go and get her nails done or or purchase um, some clothing or or whatever that is. Yeah. That would be some extra above what just regular spending would be for us. I might like to go to watch a sports game or have a subscription for something that she doesn't see any value in having and and can't justify having that. So what we found was early in marriage, we would have all kinds of of debates back and forth about why are we spending money on this when when you're the only one that wants that and so forth. And, And so part of what worked in our relationship and continues to work in our relationship is taking a portion of our income and setting that every single month it goes into bank accounts that each of us have access to and mm-hmm. we can see Meredith has X dollars to spend per month on stuff that she can spend, mm-hmm. largely removed of my influence and yep. then I have that as well yep. for what I want to spend it towards. Absolutely. And that's been really, really, I think, helpful for us. I think it was advice that a mentor gave us of like, hey, why don't you consider this? And like Phil said, that those are individual accounts, but both of us still have access to that. You can We can see each other's purchases still, but I don't get to go into Phil's and go like, I can't believe you went golfing again this week with your money. Like, I can't believe you've had four Starbucks yeah, coffees right, this week. Exactly. Because yeah. that's just, right, we all have things like that. And then on our bigger things, we have shared values that we know that we're working towards, commitments that we've made. We have a deep value of living um, 
living under our means really and not living in debt. So that's a shared value we have that is that shows up in the way that we plan our finances. We have a massive value around generosity, around giving to our church through our tithe, as well as additional offerings and to giving to other organizations and to having generosity um, that's just available for what I would call spontaneous generosity. That shows up in the way that we budget. And then we have common goals that we're working towards together financially. Maybe we're saving up for a major purchase together. Maybe we have an emergency savings uh, goal that we want to hit within a year. Um, Things like that. We are clear on what goals are we working towards together, together Mm -hmm. as a a common thing. And there's so much communication and regular check-ins about where are we at with that? What's going on? After we leave this conversation recording, we're going to go into what we call our our monthly life session where we sit down and we look through uh where we at and one of the things we look at is our finances and then we check in on you know our emotional state and goals and things with the kids and all of that but budgeting is a huge part of what we talk about in that yeah so one question came in that we've already kind of touched on but i want you to speak to really clearly what if my spouse doesn't want me to tithe on their income yeah I think this is, it actually shows up, um, comes up in counseling really often. I've like, we've seen this, had this conversation with people before. And so the, this question says, what if my spouse doesn't want me to tithe on their income? So it, it leaves me asking, are there two incomes? Do you have an income coming in and they have an income coming in? And so in that case, I would say, Um, I believe you would have the ability to tithe on what is your income potentially on on the money you're bringing in and have some discretion over that. Um, If there's one income coming in and you're saying they're kind of the primary breadwinner, then I would say if you have discretionary money, that kind of is the money you have free reign over, maybe like this personal spending that we're talking about, then I think you can honor God with that and say, well, look, I... I cannot violate my spouse in the sense of going like, I'm just going to go tithe on all this money anyway. Like I don't think that is ethical and I don't think that that is um, what God desires, right? For you to create strife in your relationship in that sense. But if there is other money that you have discretion off of tithing out of that, if you're going, my heart is, I want to bring a tithe into the house. I want to honor God with this. I think there's a way to do that or to just have a conversation and go, look, I get that you don't want to tithe right now and I'm going to respect that and I'm going to honor that, but I want to tithe or I want to give something. So is there something we can agree on together together that, that we can feel comfortable about me giving as an offering or us giving as an offering? And then I think you pray about it, right? And, and you go, God, I feel convicted about this. I hear your heart in it. Um, but we don't have agreement on it in our marriage and, and I'm not going to violate that either. And so God, until you speak to my spouse, I, I know that you will see what I'm bringing and that you will honor what I'm bringing. Yeah. And I do think that we have the ability to dig in deeper into conversations like this. And maybe you've tried to bring it up before. Maybe it wasn't heard well. Maybe Mm -hmm. the timing wasn't right. Part of what we've learned over the course of our marriage is that, Every time is not good to have every discussion. Yes. There are some times that are better than other times. There are some times that uh, it's worth saying, hey, I want to have a conversation around X topic. Um, can we talk about when that would be good or when you might have the space or be yeah. in the right place to yeah. have that conversation? And so rather than just dumping this conversation as you're getting in bed at night or something like yeah. that, 
saying, I want to talk about our finances and specifically generosity and how it relates to the church and the obligation or the responsibility that I feel like I have around tithing. When can we talk about that? Yeah. So that you can do some research or that I can have some preparation time, all those kind of things. And then I think that what we've found is that so often that yields a better return, a more fruitful conversation than just dumping the conversation. We would say as well, prayerfully enter into that space. And certainly we will be praying into that space that you would have unity in your relationship, that finances and the church would not be a point of division for you. For sure. For sure. And, and I would say as well, there, there comes a point that once you've talked about something and once you've expressed and communicated, then you have to just leave it. Right. And I know there are things with us that I've gone, I've brought this up. I've brought this up. I've brought this up. And I have, I have thoroughly communicated my view on it and my thoughts on it and my preference on it. And, and you're like, I'm not seeing that yet. I don't feel that. I don't, you know, whatever that thing is. And so I've gone, okay, you know what? I want you to know I'm making a commitment to you that I'm not bringing this up again, that I've communicated it. Excuse me. And And that's the end of the discussion because I think we have a tendency to go, I'm going to keep bringing something up. And in some ways we just dig our hole deeper because we all know that feeling of like, I feel like I'm backed into a corner now. Whereas once we go, it's been expressed, it's been communicated. Now I'm leaving it with you and I'm leaving it with God. And just trusting that, trusting your spouse enough in that and trusting God enough in that. Yeah. Great. I, I think this next question about, oh, uh, well, I'll talk about both of these. Um, what if you have different values around money, right? So we talked a minute ago about we have shared values and that's how we help build our budget together and our conversation. But what if those values around money are different? Yeah, and I think that they often are because two different people come into totally. a marriage. Yep. And so we bring different context and culture into that. 100%. And unless you've had really intentional conversations in marriage preparation or even in your marriage, it's not going to be the same value. Yes. Largely because because we're coming at it from two different spaces, whether it's different nations, it's certainly different families. Totally. And I know that my family had different values financially than your family did. And so we had a lot of conversations about what does it mean for debt and what does that mean for investments and what does that mean for for how we choose to spend our money and when we choose to spend all of those kind of things. Sorry, before you move forward, I want to dig into that because that's what I was getting ready to say as we wrapped up the last one, but I think it applies to both is um, if you are not married yet and you intend to be married, what I would say is dig into those conversations when you're dating and when you're in your like engagement pre-marriage stage. All over again, you need to go deeper. All over again, because like you just said, I mean, both of us actually came from incredibly godly households, right? With parents who are believers who taught us biblical principles about finance and came from stable financial situations. Like we have this amazingly privileged leg up in the financial space already. And we still found out, wait a second, you think what about money? You want to do what with our money? Like just coming at it from different views. And what I find with couples so often is they're like, yeah, yeah, we've talked about money. And one person has gone, yeah, yeah, I'm good with money. Like my money's in good shape. And you're like, okay, great. And then they get married and you're like, wait, what you mean as I'm good with money and what I mean as I'm good with money are two totally, you mean you make your monthly payments 
on your credit card. Right. And I mean, I don't have any credit card debt. Well, those are two really different perspectives of what it means to be good on money. Yes. You mean I give in the offering every so often. And I mean, I tithe, not meaning you, sorry, I'm pointing at you, theoretical you, you know, one couple, one partner means I give in the offering occasionally. And the other partner means I've been giving 20% of my income. That's what I meant. And then they get married and they go, what do you mean you want to tithe? And the other person goes, what do you mean you're not tithing? Because we haven't been intentional enough in those pre-marriage conversations. Yeah. One of my favorite questions in this season has become, what do you mean by that? Yes. Because. Clarify that word for me. Exactly. (laughs) Anytime that someone asks me a question or or asks me perspective on something, I'll say, what do you mean by that point, Mm -hmm. that topic? And so as you're having conversations around finances, ask that question. What do you mean by I'm good with money and all yeah. the different examples that you could insert into that? I would say disc- or uh, maybe like a little uh, promotion for uh, pre-marriage and even strengthening marriage. We have an application or a tool that we use to strengthen marriages called yep. Symbus. And we would love to make that available to you, regardless of where you're at in your marriage journey. Yeah. You can get stronger in your marriage. And a part of Simba's conversations are all about finances. And totally. we discuss many of these things as well. So if we can make that available to you, if that would be beneficial and fruitful, we'd love to do that. Yeah. And then I would say on the specific question of values, clarifying like you did earlier, what is truly a value of ours? What is a, even maybe above that, a deep conviction of ours? Sure. And then below values, like you said earlier, what's a preference? And and because sometimes I think we overuse language. It's a preference to me to uh, be able to get my nails done. I enjoy that. It's not a value to me, and yeah. it's certainly not a conviction. And so clarifying those three areas, I think, is really, really helpful um, in, in beginning to to dig into how much we care about something and how we prioritize that. I will say... I think as a couple, you have to get on the same page about what are our values and our convictions around finances. Um, You have to sit down and dig into that. If you don't feel like you're on the same page of your values, if one of you is like, I think it's fine to use credit cards to buy stuff. And the other one's like, I am not, we are not going on vacation on credit cards. That's not what those are for. You guys have to dig into and get on the same page on those things and have the tough conversations um, and bring, you know, a third party in if you have to, because that's going to continually be an Achilles heel in your relationship without it. Yeah. And I want to even take it out of marriage and relationship. I think that a whole bunch of people are just not confronting the conversation around finances because it's really overwhelming because I don't like the position or status that I'm in with my finances. I don't want to look at the ugly thing. Exactly. It's easier to not pay attention to it or to not be aware of it. And the bills keep stacking up and the credit card debt keeps getting further. And I don't even know how much student loan debt I have and all of these kind of things. Yes. If you don't confront it, it's not going to get any better. And the brave, courageous person is going to look at it in the eye and say, I can handle this. And that's partially why we're, as a church, making Ramsey Solutions available to people so that you have the confidence to be able to walk in that space, some accountability to walk in that space with other people that want to walk with you and help make sure that you can walk yourself out of debt to get disciplined in your spending. That was one of the questions that came in specifically that I want you to speak to. How do you overcome being undisciplined in your spending? Yeah, yep. 
Yeah. So I think, man, it's such a good question. I love the um, the honest authenticity of this question, right? Yeah. It's it's not look it's not avoiding the ugly thing. It's yeah. looking at myself and going, look, I'm the problem here. Okay. Well, I have, you're assuming that they're saying that it's about themselves. It might be. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm asking about my son. <laughs> On more. behalf of my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> How do I overcome undisciplined spending? Okay, so um, part of it is, right, you get disciplined, okay? Okay. So that's that's oversimplistic, so let me flesh it out wisdom? a little bit. Yep. Get wisdom. Right. Yeah. You, you get on a budget, right? So that's part of it is undisciplined spending partially comes when we don't know what's supposed to be going where and we haven't assigned money to certain places. If I haven't assigned part of my money towards giving and part of my money towards saving and part of my money towards my housing costs and part of my money towards paying off my student loan and part of my money towards um, my car payment, you know, et cetera, et cetera, these things that we have, my groceries, this is how much I know groceries cost or how much I'm committing to spending on groceries. If I haven't assigned those things, then sure, I go to the store and I see a new handbag and I'm like, cool, I can get a new handbag. I want it and I'm going to have I it. I want it and I, and I have, you know, quote unquote money. So I think that's how uh, for a large, large part of my single life, I probably lived more in that space. I didn't have a tight budget. Um, and, I, you know, I wasn't single for much of my adult years, to be fair. <laughs> so but I went, look, I've got money that I'm giving towards God. I've got money that I need for rent. And outside of that, I'm going to spend my money on what I want to. I, I always had, I'm grateful I have parents who taught me to never spend more than what came in. But I spent pretty much everything that came in, mm -hmm. right? I didn't have goals that I was working towards in that sense. So I think that is part of it. I think if you are undisciplined in your spending 100%, you need to cut up credit cards because that is going to be a constant temptation and you are going to lie to yourself and go like, oh, I'll pay this off next month. And you're not going to, if that's a, right? So our, our um, I think not using credit cards at all is incredibly good advice for a lot of people. I also don't want to sit here and pretend like we don't have credit cards. You and I have credit cards and we use those credit cards um, to you build up points. And then we pay off the total balance of the credit card every single month. So we never carry a balance on our credit card. Right. I do not think it is responsible use of credit cards to just pay off your minimum every month. And that's what I hear a lot of people doing. That will keep you out of like completely going under, but you are, th this is the thing that I think we don't think about. Um, other people are winning off of your loss when you only pay your minimum every month. Yeah, yeah. So you and I uh, use our credit cards to utilize points. Specifically, we use them a lot for flyer, frequent flyer points because we have family on the other credit. side. Yeah. And, to, and to build credit, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, so those points that we get, those bonuses that we get for paying off our credit card every single month and for being members of a credit card company, those points come from the interest that is being racked up from someone who is not paying off their credit card every month. That's yeah. where that comes from. So if you are not paying off your credit card every month and you're only making the minimum payment, you're paying for other people's vacations. 
you're paying for other people's bonuses. You're paying for other people's reward points. And so I think I think we don't wrap our heads. I, I don't know. At least for me, that makes me indignant, right? I'm like, how dare they? Mm-hmm. Like someone else is going somewhere on. So you overcome undisciplined spending by getting focused, by getting on a budget, by cutting off and eliminating things that are temptations to you. Um, and then I think you, man, you train yourself in it. You go, this is, I'm going to, I would get some scriptures about discipline. First Timothy four um, has the scripture where it says, we train ourselves in godliness. We train ourselves in it, which means I don't let myself run amok. I get focused on this thing. And there's another scripture in second Corinthians nine or first Corinthians nine and 24, which is the scripture where it talks about like we train ourselves like those who are going into the games, yeah. right? And we we pull our bodies into submission. Our physical selves is what that's saying. I, I pull my physical self into submission over the decisions that I've made. And I think you talk a lot about accountability in particular. And so I would say accountability would be a huge aspect as yeah, well. Yeah, that's where I was going to jump in yeah. is uh, I think what we're talking about is a weakness here. Absolutely. And I think that there's a lot of similarities between weakness and addiction to things. Wow. There's yep. sometimes overlap, but certainly some close correlation. And so one of the things that we talk about, I've got an addiction in this area, regardless of what it is, drugs, alcohol, pornography, insert whatever that vice is. We talk about how important accountability is in that. So good. In a, in a practical sense, obviously yep. the power of the Holy Spirit and all of those kind of things in a supernatural way. But practically, what can you be doing to be overcoming these addictions? Yep. Accountability. Get an accountability partner. And so if this is an area of weakness for someone in terms of spending, then making sure that you have an accountability partner. Every time that I walk past that store and I see that thing that I want and I really want to go in and get it, but you know that you shouldn't get it, text that person, man, I'm feeling really weak in this moment. I feel like I'm going to go do that. I feel like I'm going to go spend money that I know that I shouldn't be spending. And then that would be sinful for me to spend money that I know that I should not be spending right now. So accountability for sure has helped me in areas that I feel weak in, that I have walked into into victory and overcoming in those spaces. I think that, that credit card, uh, like you're saying, you shouldn't be playing the game of credit cards and, and working with credit cards if you are weak in your finances. Totally. It's just not worth it. You yep. can rack up debt before you even know what you're doing, yep. before you even understand the complication and what you're doing over time in that space. So I would say those kind of things. And also Simon Sinek wrote this book called Start With Why that many people would have heard of before. You need to have a why and a vision for your finances. Yeah. Kind of speaks to that same point that you were talking about focus. Yeah. If you have a why in your finances, then you're far more likely to to be disciplined in your finances. If my why of how I spend my finances is because I'm trying to impress people with Mm. all the stuff that I have, well, I'm going to be ill-disciplined in my finances. If my why is I want to break generational uh, attitude and behavior around my finances, if my why is that I want to walk in wealth and walk in prosperity and walk in financial freedom, then I'm going to be more disciplined in those things. So taking a step back and thinking, what's the vision that I have for my finances and then telling it where to go? Yep. I love that. So we almost hit on this. Someone wrote in, without debt, you have no credit. Because we talked on Sunday about really pursuing a debt-free life or a very low debt life. It's not really a question. It's more of a statement. But we wanted to tackle it because it's kind of true, right? Yes. Do you want to speak to that or you want me to hit it? Yeah. So, so I'm happy to. Obviously, 
Um, there, there's something called credit, and I want to start really simply and then go a little bit deeper into this conversation. Great. There's a credit score that you can have for yourself, whether you're talking about a FICO score, some other way of, of measuring that, that's made up by different factors in how you're spending as essentially debt. Yes, there yeah. is some truth, like you're saying, in that space. What you don't have to do is get a mortgage to build a credit score. What you don't have to do is pay the monthly minimum in your credit card to build that up. Right. You don't have to be losing money every single month, but you do have to do something. You, yeah. you have to be playing the game in that space. And so if you have a credit card and you are paying the total monthly balance, you will be building good credit because of how you're doing that. There's different things that have different factors in how you're building your credit score, whether it's 500, 600, 700, 850, whatever that number is for you. And you can check that score and, and you can have uh, soft pulls and, and you can check it for free in some different applications yep. so that you know where you're at financially. There is some truth at it. The, the benefit... Sorry, explain the difference between a soft pull and a hard pull because I didn't know this until... Yeah. Yeah, so, so a hard pull is when a bank or, or an institution will check your credit score. And if you do that too many times, it's going to negatively impact your credit score. Right. Because what it's, it's sending off alarm bells saying this person's getting ready to open a whole bunch new of credit, line. new right. credit line and all of those kind of things. You can know what your credit score is today through some different applications that's not going to negatively impact your credit score. Yep. The benefit of having a high credit score is that you can get better rates, better interest rates for different loans that you might be going after, whether it's mortgage, car, something else like that, where it's going to cost you less money over time if you have a better credit score. Yep. If you're talking about people like Dave Ramsey, he's going to say credit is shackling yourself yep. into debt. That the only way that you can have credit is by going into debt. And he recommends never doing it all. 100%. I think that there is some truth in that as well. And that it depends on where you find yourself. If you're savvy, yep. if you're disciplined, that means one thing. If you know this is an area of weakness for you, then it means something completely different. Yeah, and Dave Ramsey would say it doesn't matter what your credit score is because you're not going to take out loans and you're not going to need it anyway because you're going to pay cash for everything. And yeah. I think that is an amazing run at life. And I like applaud people who do that. You and I have found ourselves maybe one notch below that going, okay, we've taken out credit lines for homes and we've taken out credit lines for cars, but we have a deep value that we don't take out credit for anything else. We don't take out credit lines for renovations. We furniture. Don't, we don't take it like out that. for yep. furniture. We don't take it out. Even we've talked about some additional, for us, um, additional education, which I know, again, this is our conviction, but even for education, we don't take out credit lines for education. For us, that's our kind of conviction on that. So... So we needed some credit. And this is our story, right? We were people who were taught well by our parents to not spend more money than we had. And we went to buy our first home and they were like, you jokers don't have any credit at all. And we were like, but we've got, we've got money. We've been saving up money. And they were like, that means nothing. Um, and so we went, okay, how do we start building up some credit? And an amazing friend of ours who worked in finance said, hey, there's this very low rate credit card, zero uh, $0 like fee, annual, annual fee for the credit card. And this is what you're going to do. Like, I think it was like $500 or less. And I think it had a thing on it where you had to like keep that amount in your savings account as well. Cause it's like, 
you it's have very no low credit. risk. Very low that. risk. And it was through the bank. And, and exactly. specifically the context that you're speaking to is because I immigrated from Australia to America. Correct. When I got my social security number and when I essentially yeah, yeah. became active in the United States, it wasn't that I had bad credit. It's just that I had no credit. Right. So any company that I would go to, institution or otherwise, I would say I'm looking to build credit. They would say, we, when we look at you, you look like an infant yep. digitally because yes. there's no record of you. Yes. And that's a reality for immigrants all over the countries. How can 100%. I build credit when I don't have any, when no one's trusting me to build this space? Right. There is things like what you just talked about, really low risk to the bank or institution, yep. credit union and so forth that you can take out that might not be one of the major player yep. um, uh, credit companies that you can start there and then grow from that point. And then this is what we did is I used that card to buy our groceries every single week. And then at the end of every single month, we would pay off the total balance of that credit card. And we did that for, I think, about a year. And after a year, it helped build the credit score to something worth that was a little bit more um, reliable and stable. So there are ways you can build credit that are very low risk in that sense. Um, if we're talking about repairing negative credit, to be honest, you and I probably are not great people to speak to in that. Like I said, we've had the, the benefit of really great voices in our life and have never worked negatively. I know some general themes on it, but what I would say is this Ramsey Solution stuff has great concepts around getting yourself out of that position. And there are lots of financial advisors who can speak to that well in terms of what helps build um, great credit. Yeah. And, and I would say that there's a few things that largely make up your credit score. Ramsey will help you get out of debt. Correct. They're not going to uh, help you work on a plan to improve your Correct. credit score when that's antithetical when to the Ramsey model, yep. essentially. The things that I would say that make up your credit score largely to different degrees, 35% of your credit score is made up by your payment history. So making sure that yep. you're not missing payments uh, in your credit cards, followed by 30% in the length of credit history that you have, and then your credit mix that's built into all of those things, how many credit uh, lines that you've applied for recently are going to become low factors um, after that point that's not going to largely impact what your credit score actually is. Yep, great. Really, really helpful. Um, somebody asked, what is the best way to build an emergency fund or a savings fund? Ooh, why don't you start that one first? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when we talk about budgeting, one of the things that we talk about as I think a an incredible base model for building a budget is the 10-10-80 setup for your budget. So you have what comes to you every single month. You write that number at the top of a paper and then 10% of that is given back to God in the form of the tithe. The next 10% of that goes immediately into a saving. So the way that you make sure, reduce the friction on that is I set up an automatic transfer. I have two separate accounts. I have a checking account, which is where majority of my regular spending comes out of. That's where my check goes into immediately or my payment goes into immediately. And then I have a separate account that is a savings account. If you can get an account that has good interest and return on it, that's great because it can be making a little bit of extra for you. And then every single week after that check comes in, an automatic transfer is set up from that account for 10% of that to go into the savings account. That way, 
I don't have the temptation of going like, well, maybe I'll just leave it there. Maybe we'll use it for something else. And then 80% is what's left over for all of your needs and then wants. And you sit down and write down what are all of my regular expenses and what are the additional things that I want to spend money on if I have enough left over for some of those things. If those numbers aren't lining up, you need to start slashing some things out. You need to find ways to make up the difference. And that's our commitment. At this point in our life, our budget looks a little bit different than a 10-10-80. We operated on that for a lot of years. Um, That's what I operated on before we were married. It's what we operated on for several years. Ours looks a little bit different now because we have some more aggressive generosity goals and some more aggressive savings goals than that. Um, But that's where I would say start with. And then I would say if you're new and you're going, are you kidding me? I feel like I'm barely making it on what I have, which is a a very real reality for a lot of us, um, to build the discipline of trying to always save something. I know during parts of when I was in Bible college, certainly saving 10% of my check was was not a real reality, but the continual discipline of going, I'm going to save something, even if it's $10, going, I'm going to save $10, you know, out of every paycheck. That is... um, Let's say you save $10 a week, right? That's $520 at the end of your year. So if you can just build the discipline to go, okay, maybe I can't build 10% right now into my budget, or maybe that's a huge jump for me. Could you go, I'm going to set up an automatic transfer for every Monday, $10 is going to come out of my checking and into a savings account because you will already be ahead of what is it? 60% of Americans cannot, do not have $400 In an emergency savings account. It's wild. So if you can make a plan to go, I'm going to do $10 a week going from my checking into my savings, a year from that decision, you'll be ahead of 60% of other Americans because you'll have $520 that you can access in in an emergency savings. That's great. Yep. Yeah, so good. I, I would say that so much of our reality today or way that we live is expecting things to happen really quickly because of the pace of life. If you've never budgeted before, it's going to take you a while to get on the budget. If you've never saved before, if you're part of that 60% of people that have less than $400 in saving, which to be clear, $400 in savings is not enough. Yeah. That's just what the reality is. I mean, I would say setting a minimum of at least $1,000 and that's going to take time to build up for the average person, for the average family, obviously influenced by, you know, your income and your outgoings and those kind of things. It's going to take time to that, to do that. It's going to take time to get disciplined in your spending. Don't expect that you can just listen to this podcast conversation and that tomorrow you're going to have enough in emergency savings to invest in a high yield savings account. It's going to take time to do that. Yeah. I think that the benefit in some of those savings account is that you're locking them in to a place for a length of time. So there's some accountability in that space. Mm -hmm. So you're less likely to just tap into it on a rainy day or when you want some extra spending because you're locking it up like you've got a friend that you're giving it to in a sense. So I think that there's some some responsibility in that space. Just knowing it's going to take time and you've got to keep walking it out day by day and understand that point. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, in the same kind of zone, somebody asked the question, do I give to my church if my income is way less than my expenses? Yeah. Yeah. Great so the, question. The first edit I have on it before I want to tee it up to you is that you don't give to your church. Mm. You're giving to God. Sure. 
Your giving is going to God and the church is the the conduit or the recipient of that giving. So I certainly understand uh, what the person is saying, yeah, yeah. but I do think that that perspective is very different because when we go, wow, this is what I'm giving to God or even really the language I like to use is what I'm returning to God, um, then I think that changes my picture on it a lot of am I returning to God what is already his that he's asking for back now? Great. Yeah, so then I think that there's some deeper conversation that would need to happen with the person that wrote this question around what essentially you're saying is I'm going into debt right now. If your expenses are higher than your income, you're going into debt. Yeah, we got to get that sorted out. Exactly. That's the conversation that we need to be having. Tie the side right now. We need to have a conversation about getting on a budget, figuring what what that looks like, whether it's a budget or figuring out, is there not enough income coming in? How can we generate more income? Is it employment related or or something along those lines? Having some of those conversations. I would say as well, I think practically we should not be going into debt to be generous. Very good. Because what what you're doing is you're taking money from other obligations that you have and you're pretending to be generous. It's not your money. If yes. I'm deciding to not pay my rent because I'm giving to my church, that's not being generous yeah. or insert any other organization or, or friend on or whatever. Credit. Yes. Giving on credit is not being generous. Generosity is giving of myself or of my extra. It's it's okay to give sometimes when it costs you something. Yes. Right? Sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving, but not giving that costs someone else something yeah. or giving out of what you don't actually have. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I would say that. And then I would say as well, if you're in a season of um, w- where you're not making income, yeah, right? That is a, a reality. I think that God has called us all to generosity. Yeah. And so if you don't have the means to financially give, yep. that may be your reality. And there is no expectation. I think the expectation that we would encourage for people is be generous with what you have. No one is asking anybody or no one is encouraging people to be generous with what you don't have or for people to feel shame around that conversation. Yep. The conversation that we have is be generous with what you do have. Mm-hmm. And outside of the financial conversation, God has blessed you with all kinds of assets and all kinds of things that you can still be generous with. You can be generous with your time. Yep. You can volunteer. You can invest and mentor people. You have the ability to look at other assets that you could be making available, leading life groups and inviting people into your home mm-hmm. or whatever that looks like, being generous with different spaces and assets and resources that God has put in your hand holding everything that you have in your hand openly, knowing that God can use it, taking it just out of the financial conversation there. Yeah. And I think this question is very similar to um, a question I hear sometimes that didn't come in this time, but that I've heard in a lot of conversations over the years of if I'm, if I am receiving, um, receiving like financial support, right? If I'm on social security or if I'm on government support or something like that, do I tithe off of that money as well? And I don't think anyone else can answer that question for you, for sure, right? That is a question you have to seek God on your own and look into scripture and go, what am I going to do? I do. I will say, if you truly believe that there is a blessing that comes from tithing, right? Meaning God's special grace for the season that you're in, his special support for the season that you're in, then you see that there is a benefit 
to me, when we get into asking the specified questions around, is it this amount or is it that amount? Is it in this scenario or in that scenario? To me, that still is a mentality or a perspective that says, I see this as subtracting from my life. But the way I see tithing is I see it as adding to my life because I believe that when I give to God, it is a return for what he's already given me and it is a seed. It is something that I'm giving to him that he returns to me in a bigger way. You cannot give God something that he doesn't do more with. Yes, absolutely. And, And so when we go and... When we go, oh, if, if I give this to God, I'm not going to have enough. I'm like, you don't get it still. Yeah. And I know I don't want to oversimplify that. I get that it is so culturally different than what has been ingrained in us. But I, I, my heart breaks because I'm like, man, you're missing it still. And I would also say, give it some time. I see people tithe and they, they go, I'm going to tithe. And they start tithing for like one week or two weeks. And then they're like, it's not working. It's not showing up. And I'm like, well, no, that's not how a seed works. It's going to take it a minute. It's going to take some time for this to turn around. You have to give it a little bit of time mm-hmm. to show up. But but I see giving that tithe as increasing my life, not detracting from my life. Yes. Yeah. I love that point about the seed and where that's going and giving it time to grow and to flourish and not trying to rush that process. Excellent. You started to talk about generosity there, which to me is the ultimate goal of having, um, having a handle on my own finances. The ultimate goal of that has to do with generosity and being able to use my finances to help other people, to spread the gospel further, to increase the work that God's doing on the earth. Yeah, and I would go all the way back to, to Genesis to, to look at some of that. I think Genesis 12 too, what God speaks to Abraham, you, you have been blessed not for your own sake, mm-hmm. you've been blessed to be a blessing. Mm-hmm. That was true back then, and that's true today as well, that the blessing that we receive is not really for us. Totally. It's to bless other people. And I'm not saying that you can't have things for yourself. That's the lie that I've come out of, that mm-hmm. you should never own anything for yourself and never have anything that you want or desire right. or anything like that. But I think that God creates us with in a natural way, the ability to breathe in and breathe out. Yeah, I think a health, healthy life perspective is how are we doing that in all different spaces as well. Mm-hmm. How am I doing that with serving and my church? Well, I'm breathing in and I'm receiving from the church, but I'm also breathing out and I'm pouring into Great. people and I'm pouring into to the church community and how I serve around weekends and outreach opportunities. How am I doing that with my finances? I'm breathing in and I'm receiving and I'm inspiring, but I'm also breathing out and sowing into other people as well, individuals. And uh, this conversation is so far beyond just the financial implication. Mm-hmm. How? Because I know some people that are incredibly generous with their finances, yes. but incredibly stingy with their time. Wow. They're going to give every single Sunday sacrificially and financially. And maybe that's what they've been called into. Yep. But they won't give any time to sow into somebody that needs mentoring or wow. someone that needs discipleship. And arguably, that's the thing that we've been called to be able to walk people into discipleship and to come alongside and people the, and build their faith. And then you see it the other way as yes. well, right? Yep. 
that somebody is like, I'll show up to volunteer at everything you ask me for. And, you know, I'll sit down for hours and talk to the new person. Yeah, but don't touch my money. Right. But as soon as you go, hey, we're we're building for this or, hey, we're believing this or, hey, uh, you know, what's going on in your time? They're like, don't touch my money. Right. I don't want to I don't want to have anything to do with that or or a mentality of I can't do that because of X, Y and Z. Yeah. And, and I would say that generosity cannot be siloed. You cannot have departments in your life wow. that are filled with generosity. Generosity is something that should um, should be diffused throughout mm-hmm. your entire life. And maybe that's a question for yourself um, today, for you to be thinking about, is there an area of my life, relationally, financially, whatever that is, emotionally maybe, physically, that I am not generous in? Is there a space that I'm holding onto and that I don't trust God in? Essentially, when you refuse to be generous in an area, what you're saying to God is, I don't trust you in that area. Wow. And I cannot trust you in that area. That's why I'm holding on to that thing. Yeah. Sometimes that comes out of hurt from the past. Sometimes that comes out of a scarcity mentality. Sometimes that comes out of values and culture that we've come from. Mm-hmm. But you need to assess yourself in in season and out of season, is there an area in my life that I refuse to trust God in? Therefore, I'm not going to be generous in. Wow. that's I think that is so good. And I, I think the thing about generosity, about giving of our finances, is to me, this is where the eternal part comes in, right? The book of Matthew says, why store up here what the moths are going to eat away? There's something that you can give that will never be eaten away, that will never be destroyed because it has eternal impact. And and I think that's the thing we ultimately want to go after is do, do my finances have eternal impact on what is what is happening in my life and in my family and in my legacy. And there are so many ways that you can be generous, but we and I think most people want to be. That's that's the thing I hear. When I talk to most people, they're like, I'd love to be generous, but I can't. Right. And and it's it so often ca- that caveat of, but I can't right now. And I just, I would love to see more people break that mentality because I hear the, but I can't in two categories. One, I legitimately have too much of my finances tied up in debt. Legitimately have too much of my finances tied up in things that are really bigger than what my income is. Because like you said earlier, I'm trying to impress people that I don't even like, or because I'm trying to live up to a certain standard or the, but I can't because we have some imaginary line in the future of when I make X amount of money or when I'm finally at this stage of life, then I will be generous. And I think there is a level of generosity that you can come to at future stages of your life. But being generous, here's the thing. If you're not giving generously in in a, a tighter or a l- lower economic stage of your life, you're not going to magically want to do that when you make more money. Yeah, because that line's always going to move. That line is always going to move, and you haven't built it up on the inside of you. I mm-hmm. was reading, as I've been preparing for this, I was reading a story of this couple who has given at just amazing amounts. They gave away $100,000, and they have a goal to be able to write, like in a single, gave a check for $100,000, wow. right? Goals. Yes, goals, right? And they, you know, they have a lifetime goal to be able to write a check, a single check for a million dollars. Yeah. But they said that didn't start there. And they started rolling back 10, 15 years earlier in their marriage. And they said, look, we 
we gave the first time we gave a big amount. We were praying and we felt like, God, we were we were tithing to our church already. We were doing, you know, et cetera. So they already were living in a giving mindset. So those are building blocks. I think every week when you give your tithe, you're going, yep, I'm giving and I'm a person who gives. You start building that perspective and that identity feature or factor. Um, but they said, then we started praying and we felt like God wanted us to write a check for $5,000. And we were like how can we write a check for $5,000? That's so much money. But they did it. They, they had it to give. They weren't taking it from, you know, their mortgage. They had it. They gave it. They did that a couple more times. And then they were like, man, one year we were praying and we were both like, I feel like God wants us to give 10,000. And so then they did that. And then that keeps growing and building until they were like, we felt like we, we, we found this organization and we heard what they were doing. And we felt God asked us to give away $100,000. And that seems massive. And I think all of us go, man, I'd love to give away $100,000, but we're not giving away $100. Sure. You know? And I know for me, it started when I was a Bible college student going, I feel like this money is barely making it. And I was giving them my tithe, but nothing else. And someone gives, a, you know, a spiel for a compassion kid. And I felt God say to me, I bet you could find a way to make that $25 happen. Mm -hmm. And I sat down and I realized coffees, that if I cut out a couple of coffees a month, I could spend $25 to support a compassion kid. And now we have three compassion children that you and I support, yeah. along with some of our other, you know, giving. And, and I think that's what we tell ourselves, I'll do it in the future. But I would say to you, find out if you can do it today. Yeah. Yeah, great. Last question that I want to to spend a little bit of time on yeah. comes from someone who would be in a different space than yes. the couple that you were just talking about. I think it's a great place to finish. It says, I saw my parents and family grow up in scarcity, even though even through homelessness at one point in time. I now view my finances negatively with a scarcity mindset yeah. out of fear and not being able to provide for my own family. I've lost friends because of my scarcity mindset around money. How can I give that fear to God so that I can live abundantly, both financially and relationally, and I would say in every area, yes. without fear of scarcity or poverty anymore? What would you say to that person? Man, I love the honesty of this question. Absolutely. And the self-reflectiveness, right? You've, I, you've identified the problem. You're half of the way there. I always think once I can name the thing that's holding me, then I can start to attack it. So I, I just want to commend this person first and foremost and say, man, congratulations on identifying the thing and, and the reality, bringing to the surface the reality that finances are so complex. We think of them often as just this external thing, but the truth is there are so many internal factors that are building to the way we see and feel and how we utilize our finances. I mean, just I think last week or something, you and I were talking, we've been married for 11, almost 12 years now. And we were talking about something about the way that we were brought up with our money and how that's impacting the way we're utilizing it now and seeing it and the different joys and frustrations that we feel around, around that. And so I think the reality of, of looking at that and going, this is where that comes from, is so, so good. And, and I think what it highlights is this idea that we can come out of poverty physically. What I think I'm hearing this person say is I'm not in the same position I grew up in. I don't have that. 
I am in a better financial position now. So we can come out of poverty physically. We certainly can come out of poverty spiritually. That's what Jesus does for us. He goes, hey, look, I paid all of your debts. You are no longer in debt. You are fully free, fully saved because I saved you and redeemed you, called you by name. You are mine, right? All of that. So I'm out of debt physically. I'm out of debt spiritually. But in my soul, I'm still in poverty. In my soul, I'm still that little kid who's afraid that we're not going to have our home anymore. And in First John, um, or sorry, in Third John one and two, it says, "I want you to prosper and be in health, even as your soul is in health." Mm-hmm. So that's what I would say to this person: is I hear you saying, "Physically, I'm free; spiritually, I'm free," but my soul is still shackled to that thing. And it's the same; it's the process that God had to walk the children of Israel through, because they came out of Egypt, out of their poverty place into a place of trusting in God, but in their minds, in their souls, they were still slaves to that thing. And that begins, I think, with renewing your mind, with going, I, I have been made new. I have been, I'm, I'm going to refocus on my new reality, on the new place where I'm living, on, on the truth of who God is, on the truth of, of his word, so I would recommend to this person to get a couple of scriptures that you're going that you go, I'm gonna read over these scriptures all of the time until they're so deep, until they are written on my heart. That word heart in scripture has to do with not my cardiovascular system, but my internal person, the core, the central part of who I am, until these scriptures and this truth of God's word is written on the central part of who I am. The scriptures we've been reading um, as kind of the core around this series on fearless finances come out of the book of Matthew chapter six. So I would recommend that reading through those kind of portions of scriptures and going, God provides even for the sparrows. Of course, he's going to provide for me. How much more? until you can really depend on that. I, I wanted to read 2 Corinthians 9 and 8 um, as, we, as I was reflecting on this question because I think it's such a good, uh, good thought for this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And so I think remembering that, writing that scripture on your heart, that you will abound, that he, he can provide all things for you at all times, meaning in the future as well, not just right now, but in the future as well, that he can abound for you and that you don't have to be afraid in that space. And then I think lastly, I would say to focus your mind on what God has provided for you to look around and go, he's been faithful in this, he's been faithful in that, he's been faithful in this, he's been faithful in that. And to make the practical steps, to me, those begin to reinforce the reality of where I live, to write out thankfulness, to write out what I do have, to write out all the places he's provided for me, to look at the fact that, hey, I am financially stable. I do have wisdom in this area. Maybe it's going through some of these um, things that, that the church is providing and going, I've increased my wisdom in this area. I've decreased my debt so that I'm not in a vulnerable position that might lead to that. I've created an emergency savings so that if I ever find myself without work, I'm okay for a few weeks or a few months. 
all of those things help reinforce and reestablish and go, God's given me wisdom. He's given me ability. He's given me talents. He's given me skills. And to take on the reality that you have the ability to rewrite the legacy of your family and of what it means to have your name, that previously it meant lack and previously it was associated with homelessness and with not knowing where tomorrow's meal was coming from. But in the future, your name and your family legacy can be connected with the abundance of God, can be connected with his steadfastness, can be connected with wisdom in your finances, can be connected with people who are generous and who have a legacy of giving and beginning to go after that thing and being more focused on the future that God's building for you, on the promised land to go back to the children of Israel, right? Putting your focus on there is a promised future for me and my children and my children's children, rather than continually looking back to Egypt and saying, man, but I once was a slave. Well, you once were a lot of things, but you're not those things anymore. You are who God has called you to be. So run towards that. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. I would just be echoing, I think, many of those thoughts, but I think that that's a beautiful place to wrap up this conversation. Before we take a moment to pray over you, I just want to recap some of this conversation, kind of where we've come from. We talked about uh, the ability to gain passive income and what that looks like, about what our finances look like in our marriage, about debt and spending and credit, about one of the ways that I think it's it's helpful to consider credit cards is that they're like power tools. Wow. Power tools can be really helpful, but they can also be really dangerous. And I would say the same things for credit card as well. You always get nervous when I go touch our power tools. That's true. It can be really beneficial <laughs> in the right hands. Yeah, yeah. Really dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. Expenses, debt, credit, budgets, how to build savings – and it's such a beautiful place to wrap up that conversation uh, in, in sharing in that space what that means for this individual about walking not just in physical prosperity, but also in solical, spiritual wow. prosperity as well. Yeah. Meredith, can you take a moment and just pray over everybody, each individual that is here listening in this conversation? Yeah. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your guidance. I just I feel you on this podcast right now, and I believe that you are strengthening and equipping people right where they are. Thank you for the individual who's listening to this right now. I want you to know that God sees you and God knows you, and whatever your financial situation is, that he is ready to get in the midst of it with you. And so I speak over your life that you have wisdom in your finances. I speak over you that your future is great and your future is bright. I speak over your life that God would prosper you and that you would be in health even as your soul is in health. I speak over you that you are growing in discipline. I speak over you that you are growing in generosity, that you have an eternal view and an eternal impact and an eternal perspective when it comes to the relationship of your finances. I speak over you that I believe that God wants to put more finances in your in your hands and that you would be found in a place where he can trust you with more. And God, I thank you that you would always keep us in a place where we have finances, but they never, ever have us. Let them never replace who you are in our lives. You are first and you are primary. 
we are people who will seek your kingdom first, God. And we're grateful for whatever else you add to us in addition to that. But we want to be found in your house, among your people, worshiping you for all of our days. In your mighty name, God. Amen. 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 Well, it's our hope and prayer that this conversation has been beneficial to you. Please make sure that you share it with your loved ones, friends, and family if it has been of benefit to you. This has been a longer conversation than we typically have. However, each month we sit down and have conversations around topics that build resilient faith in our lives. Make sure that you check back, turn on your notifications, and so that you don't miss any of the conversations that we have here on the Cornerstone Church bonus cast. Until next time, God bless you, and bye for now.